Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran. Good morning. Welcome to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. It's great to be with you today. Today's kind of a, an odd day. I'm going to honor my father and I'm going to honor my son. And there's a reason for both. Um, today's my son, John Mark, my oldest son's birthday. And so I want to talk a bit about being a father to John Mark. And at the same time, I want to talk about my dad, George Curran, because he, he died last Friday morning on the Feast of the Archangels. So lots to say about that as well. So an interesting program. Back in a minute. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Curran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path, and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Hey, welcome to the program. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gift of being a father. Thank you for the gift of having a father. Thank you for the gift of being a father to sons who will one day uh, be called to be fathers, uh, whether priest or, or married, Lord, I just, I pray, I pray for fatherliness to shine forth on my life, in my life, and through my life. I thank you for the gift of my own dad. And I do pray, Lord, for the repose of his soul, that he would truly be resting with you in heaven. I pray, Lord, for purification, any purging that still remains in his regard. I ask, Lord Jesus, that you would have given him the, the grace of perseverance to, to be able to experience the, merciful, the merciful judge and a welcome home. And that, uh, Lord, I pray that he would also experience truly the gift of, of uh, being purged quickly and completely to enter into heavenly life in its fullness. That is our great hope. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Oh, no, no. Lord, I, I pray for those who have loved ones who are near to death. I ask, Lord, that you would be with them to give them grace, to give them wisdom and courage to know how to be present, how to be loving, how to be useful to you, Lord, to uh, let your light, your power, your presence to be at work. Lord, please shine forth as did the divine physician who brings healing and wholeness and calls us to salvation. And we make this prayer in Jesus' holy name. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. I'm going to talk about uh, this, again, This it's, it's a real interesting day because it's my son's 18th birthday. He comes into manhood, right? Officially 18 years old. He's now... Uh, he's no longer a child. He's now a man. And uh, just to, to think about that is, it's, it's, I, I'm, it's kind of mind-boggling to me that my, I think, I don't think of him as an 18-year-old man, and yet here he is a freshman in college. And so 
I, I will talk about him, but I'm going to talk about my dad first. Uh, I'm going to talk about uh, the dying of my dad, my dad's death, and then just a couple of reflections that have happened since then. And again, along the ways, along the way, uh, not only asking for your prayers for my own dad and my own family, but for those families who are also mourning the loss of a loved one or who are on a path that is going to lead to that soon. And so um, so please pray for them. Pray for them. It's, it's not an easy thing to navigate. So I'm going to share three things. The first is I'm going to share about, again, a bit about the experience of my dad's death on my own life and just share that with you. Hopefully that that's a, a blessing. It can provide some insight, maybe some encouragement, maybe some consolation uh, or some thoughtfulness. The, the second is to talk a bit about my dad and the life that he lived and the way that he died. And then from there, talk about my son. Uh, and it's it's so interesting. I I'm recording this on uh, I'm recording this program uh, last night. If you're listening to this on Tuesday morning, it's on the the feast day. the the, the feast day that got moved of <laughs> a little flower, Saint Therese, who also lived and died uh, in in quite a way, in quite a journey. Uh, her own um, brief life that the Lord used deep suffering and self-sacrifice and great love in little things. This little flower, St. Therese. Um, also, I think a source of wisdom and insight for us uh, in this program that I'm talking about. And then tomorrow, tomorrow's the feast of St. Francis of Assisi. So one of my reflections about John Mark is the timing of his birth I think was in some senses connected to St. Francis, and we'll talk a bit about that. I've talked about power of names. Little do I realize. Anyways, okay, so let's start with my dad and, and the manner of his dying and its impact on me. Um, so in my family with my four siblings and, and um, uh, a bunch of nephews and nieces that are around, and, and one of my daughters in Boston around my dad, um, you know, day and night, Right, sort of 24-7 over the last almost three months, experiencing hospice at home. So the final stage of my dad's journey on earth, having him um, go through that process of diminishment, of diminishing capabilities and capacities, physically, mentally, uh, personally, um, just having that diminish. He did that all at home, and it was what he wanted in my siblings and honored that. And circled around and and poured out tremendously that he would be able to uh, that he'd be honored in his wishes. So, um, I think I was the one that brought to the table this sense of, you know, my dad has so many health difficulties. He faced so many daily limitations and challenges, just physically, physically, just inside and out, head to toe that when I thought about him leaving this world and going home to God, for me, this was a, like a, a positive thing, right? Uh, it, it, he's 90 years old, and he's lived a full life, and he's, his body is breaking down in every dimension, and it's impacting him in every way, and he's suffering every single day. And the idea of pushing him to continue on on this earth was something that for me at a distance, it was like, guys, why are we doing this? Why don't we want to help him 
be prepared for the next step and stage in his journey, which is to leave this world and the limitations of this broken body behind to be able to go home and be with God, his creator and his father. And through Jesus, experience the fullness of life where so many of his family members, including my mom, his wife, um, already are. And, and so with that said, you know, that's conceptually, in your mind, in my mind, conceptually, it's, it's a positive thing. It's a good thing. Why are we afraid of that? That's our hope. We're not people of despair. Death is not the end. Death is a door. With all that said, when he died, when I got the call, there was a dimension of finality that was like a lightning bolt and struck me. I got the call. It was about 4.30 in the morning, my time. And I got a call from my niece who said that grandfather passed a couple hours ago. And um, and I, I was a little caught off guard. I was a bit caught off guard because uh, every day I, I'd be getting updates from my siblings. They'd send pictures into our group chat and little updates on what he ate and how's he doing and often would send a picture of him either eating some food or with a thumbs up and sometimes recording a brief video um, of him. And so uh, it it wasn't one of those, oh, he's now no longer cognizant and he's, you know, he's in a He's in a coma, or he's going to die in the next 24 hours. It, it wasn't like that. And so when I got the call, and they said he, he, he passed away, right? He died. There was this sense of, after I hung up, I was like, wait a minute. I, I, I don't get to talk to him one more time. I, I don't get to, to say goodbye because it wasn't like, okay, I'm now I'm leaving everyone, everyone gather around. Now I'm, I'm going, I'm now departing. So let me just say some final words to you. It didn't happen like that. And uh, even though I had already, let's say, to put it in quotes, I've, I'd already said my goodbyes. You know, I, I was thanking him for being my dad when he turned 90 and I was out there this summer. And then when I went back to, to be with him for several days, uh, uh, about a month ago, um, when he was in hospice at home, I again said my goodbye and thanked him for being my dad, knowing that this would be most likely the last time I would see him physically alive and be able to give him a hug and, and, um, and I could still talk to him, and I did. In fact, uh, since I had come home, I had had um, one and one or two. One in particular stood out to me—a really beautiful conversation. And in it, it was—he called me, and he was upset. He was upset just about just sort of the way that the family was um, really struggling to be together. Um, in unity and how how we were caring for him. And, and I just said, let me pray for you. Let me pray with you right now. And I, I prayed in an, you know, an extensive personal prayer for him and with him. And he found it so comforting. He just thanked me for that prayer. And uh, just, he, he, it was like he, he experienced some peace, some beautiful peace. And it, it made me say, dad, Look, when you have, see, here's the thing. He was, he was sleeping so many hours. He was only up and cognizant 
for um, like a sporadic amount of 15 minutes here, 20 minutes there, a handful of times a day. And I, so I didn't, I couldn't just call him and say, hey, dad, how's your day going? So I would say to my siblings, call me when he's cognizant. And if you remember it, have him call me because I'd love to talk with him when he's in those alert moments. But I, I only got one other one. I only had one other of those moments where I could be with him. And I didn't have a sense at that moment, just because of who else was around. I, I didn't have like a, a time to pray with him. And um, I didn't, it wasn't really like a meaningful, beautiful conversation. It was, my dad was declining. It was clear that he was declining in the conversation. And it was hard to have a, like a real, like, um, rational conversation with him. Well, he was, he was diminishing. And so that was my last long conversation with him. And, and, and then all of a sudden, okay, he's gone. And, and I, I know, you know, no, he's gone home to heaven, and we believe in faith that, that those in heaven, and the catechism teaches this, right? what are they doing in heaven? They behold the face of God, and they praise him constantly. And then it says this, it says, they constantly care for those whom they have left on earth. They're constantly loving those, caring for those whom they have left on earth. So my dad is, is actually loving me now. He's caring for me now. Uh, or as soon as he's in heaven, right, on, on purgatory, he's counting on my prayers and my good works and my offering up of things for him to experience full purification. Um, and so there's still an intimate bond. It's much more spiritual and, and theological and, and sometimes therefore only maybe experienced as conceptual. And, and it can lack some of that, you know, concreteness, the experiential quality of it. And and that was the part that struck me. And so I I share that with you to say if you if you know that you're if you're a loved one of yours is in a stage of life where they are diminishing and, and could potentially die, to have those meaningful memories in conversation and in prayer. Just, just know this, that if, if you have a vibrant relationship with the Lord, if you have a relationship with God that's personal, where you have a sense of the Father, of Jesus the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. If you have that sense of a relationship with the Lord that is personal and intimate, and that the living God sees you and knows you, and not only wants to bless you, but wants to be at work where you are, is present where you are, and can be at work through your faith and your prayer to be a conduit of blessing to others, do not leave that on the sidelines. My brothers and sisters, do not leave that on the sidelines incorporate prayer, incorporate moments of living prayer into your relationship, especially with those who are fragile, who are weak, who are struggling. It was one of the things that St. Alphonsus de Liguori in his book, Preparation for Death, uh, reminded me in one of his meditations. It was that uh, as someone is approaching death, they, they're often not going to have their full 
mental capabilities, physical uh, capabilities, their same ability to focus and have energy and, and to be able to relate to things in a normal way. No, they're going to be struggling more. And, and in those circumstances where our loved ones are struggling more, just to make it through the next 10 minutes, the next five minutes, or the next five hours, that you have an important part to play with your faith. And, and not to miss that, not to miss out, because when your loved one is gone, when your loved one has departed from this world, that opportunity, that moment to bring your faith to bear in his or her life is also gone. Back in a minute with more Sound Insight. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, I love serving Catholic families and others who are discerning a move for yourselves. It's much more than buying or selling a home. It's discerning a whole new life. If that's something that you would find uh, a help in, if I could be of service to you, please be in touch. You can find out more at drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to Sound Insight. Okay, so I'm sharing some reflections about my dad, George Curran, his death, and, and say a prayer for him. His funeral is a week from today. Yes, that's right. So I'll be flying back to Boston to be with my family, to um, have a, a rosary wake, and uh, to then have the funeral. So next Monday, Columbus Day in the evening, and then Tuesday. So um, one of the things that I... I want to I want to kind of share about the manner in which my dad died. I mentioned about the diminishment, but there was something that was really beautiful about my dad's faith that I admire tremendously, and I hope to be able to imitate. Honestly, I mentioned that he struggled with a, a laundry list of serious debilitating physical limitations and conditions. I don't want to list them all. It's hard to imagine them all. But one of the things that he would do when he would um, stand up and he would want to be able to go out onto the front porch, and when he was still able to, to walk, he would walk out to the front porch really early in the morning, it's one of the mysteries of life is uh, older folks don't need a lot of sleep and they wake up really, really early. <laughs> so my dad, when I was back visiting with him, he was up at 2.30 in the morning ready for breakfast. And so um, so four in the morning, he's like, what am I doing? I haven't said my morning prayer yet. I'm like, all right, dad. So we made our way out to the front porch and he had some wind chimes there, and he had this little ritual he would do um, in the morning. He would hit the wind chimes, just sort of announcing to the world, to God's creation, sort of announcing to heaven and earth that he was here to pray. He would hit it with his cane. <laughs> he, was, he was blind, but he could still kind of swing his cane until he hit the... Uh, the, the chimes, and, um, and he would first sing in Our Father. 
He'd sing the Lord's Prayer. And then he would sing a Hail Mary. And it was sort of the traditional Our Father, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be. I'm not a singer. I'm not even going to try. And then the, the, the sort of the uh, more glory and praise version of the Hail Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace. So he would sing that. And, um, and then when he was done with that, he would sing, thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for everything. And that was the part that I think took more of my breath away. Because he didn't say, thank you, God, that I have another day to be alive. But he would say that too. He would then go off and he would list. He would, he would do a kind of a litany of things that he was grateful for. But his song was thanking God for everything. And I'm looking at him thinking, you're thanking him for everything, Dad? I mean, are you thanking him for your blindness or your deafness or your rheumatoid arthritis or your lower back pain that requires cortisone shots or your 15% lung capacity or your your uh, heart that has one valve that's working and has a pacemaker? Are you talking about the congestive heart failure? Or are you talking about the the uh, swollen uh, dia- the, the the swollen legs impacted by diabetes? Uh, are you talk? What is it that you're talking about here <laughs> that you that you're grateful for? And he's grateful for everything, everything. And I just, I, I, I mean, if I get a hangnail, I'm I'm asking the Lord for quick and complete healing with no side effects or after effects. I I'm not thanking God for everything. It's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of seeing life that comes out of the crucible. Like the crucible, what? It's a, it's a purifying fire, right? The crucible is used to purify gold or silver from dross. That makes it impure. The crucible, the crucifying, the crucifix, there's something about dying to certain parts of our lives that my dad underwent. It wasn't necessarily that he chose these things. It was rather that these were things that happened to him and happened in him. And the fact that he lived a life that involved so many of these trials and and challenges and that he could reach 90 and say, thank you, God, for everything, is really quite astounding. He was born in 1930, so you think the, the Depression. He was born in a, of a very, very poor family. And, you know, his mom had to sew clothes. And, and I mean, real, real poverty, very, very much so. And then his dad died when he was uh, like 10 years old. And, um, and so he grew up in a home where he had to help provide for the family, where he had to work as soon as he could to be able to get some money to help the family. And then um, when he was a senior in high school, 
they uh, were looking for uh, volunteers to uh, uh, to enter the military and fight in the Korean War. So he left and graduated high school early his senior year to be able to um, go to war as an 18-year-old. And in the war, he was he was right near the front lines and um, experienced uh, a number of bombardments and other kinds of, uh, you know, just traumatizing kinds of events and happenings in his military service. And he comes back like a 21-year-old, and his life has already been marked by just huge challenges, just huge challenges, you know, from the, the, the poverty in which he grew up to losing his dad to uh, f- being in a war as a, in his late teen years and experiencing PTSD that went undiagnosed for about, shockingly, about over 50 years, 55 years. He never was treated for it. And he would eventually come to share a bit about the way that his time in, in, in war impacted his life. Anyway, so he continued on with a life and met my mom. And in, in the process of meeting my mom, he actually was converting to become Catholic and had a chance to share some powerful stories about encounters with God encounters with God that happened um, uh, in receiving Holy Communion and in coming into the church, just literally walking into the church physically, and how he sensed God's presence, and that led him to just bow down and worship God, and how time froze for him. And one time receiving Holy Communion, uh, he received Holy Communion, and again, this would have been at at a time where you received um, uh, uh, at the... um, at the altar rail, and he received Holy Communion and remained there, just caught up in, in the, the moment of encounter with Jesus. And everyone else came and left and, 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 finished, and they finished distributing communion, and he was still kneeling there, just caught up. And eventually, he kind of came back into the awareness of being at Mass and as they were finishing up mass, and he he went back to his pew, and and my mom was like, "What were you doing? <laughs> what, what what happened?" And he was a bit embarrassed, and and she was like, "What were you doing?" And so he he didn't have words for it, but he had some kind of ecstatic encounter with Jesus in Holy Communion, and what a powerful thing to, and he didn't share it like that. I, I just at one point I just started asking him stories about um, why did he become Catholic, and it was you know what it was. It was the uh, influence of a friend. One of one of his very best friends was Catholic, and he grew up in a home that was um, a that was a Shaker home. Think Quakers, like Shakers, or like Quakers, and and they emphasized silence and listening. Silence and listening to God. And, and when you would have an encounter with God, you'd begin to shake, the shakers. And so he had that kind of very quiet, private spirituality in the home that he grew up in. 
And so from him to then move into the Catholic world, I think that there was a bit of the the formation he had received that was very open and receptive to silence and to the mystery of God and to the transcendence of God and, and be reverent before the holy God. And so it was a beautiful, if you will, disposing, disposition and, and preparation for him. And the Lord used that. The Lord definitely used that. Well, in the life that he lived with my mom, he had to work hard. He, he, he was a general contractor and built a number of buildings and things of that sort, but worked long, hard hours to be able to provide for the family, and, and he did. And um, I, I just want to end one last reflection that the meaningfulness of dates, I talk about the date that someone's born as being very meaningful and connected to, in some ways, the call of God on someone's life. And I'll get to that a bit more on today's program because today's the, the birthday of my son, John Mark, on October the 3rd. So we're going to have a meaningful connection with uh, St. Francis of Assisi. <laughs> so before we get there, though, the day that my dad died was the feast of the archangels, Michael, Gabriel, and Raphael. And I thought about it for a bit, just reflected on it in prayer, I thought, wow, what a, what a beautiful day to die. What a fitting day to die. That in my dad's life, what he was for my family, he was a protector like Michael. He was a uh, provider like Gabriel. And he was a, a leader like Raphael. Raphael, who led a blind Tobit, uh, and my dad was blind, and um, and I thought, wow, what a what a fitting thing that my dad was a leader, provider, and protector. And I talk I talk about that so much that being a father means being a leader, a provider, and a protector. And I thought, wow, these archangels, they all in their own way provide all three, right? But in their own distinct ways, there is a, an emphasis, let's call it an emphasis, that each of them um, could easily be identified with. So Raphael, the one who's like leading on a journey, and, and there's healing to be found in that, right? But the, that idea of leading someone on a journey is definitely Raphael. And definitely Michael, you think of as the protector, even though he's, like you could say, he's the leader of the, of the angels and leads them into battle, but definitely a protecting function. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle like a protector, be our protection. And then Gabriel, as someone who met Zechariah in the temple to say, I'm going to provide you with the answer to your heart's cry, provide you with the answer that you've been seeking, which is that your wife, Elizabeth, would bear a child, and that I would provide you with what you need to fulfill your role in the temple. And then to the Blessed Mother, I'm going to announce to you this call that you have to, uh, to be the mother of the Son of God. Um, so I, I love that idea of, of the intercessor, and the, 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 the go-between is, is the provision, the, the capability. I'm going to bring you to God and bring God to you. That's what a provider does. And I think Gabriel does that so beautifully. And so I, I, I took it as a, 
um, a beautiful sign that the Lord had him come home. And, and, and the, the time that it happened was during the hour of visitation. It was in the middle of the night. Three, during the three o'clock hour was when he stopped breathing and went home to God. So in the hour of visitation, and that's the hour when Jesus walked on the water, walked out to the disciples who were in the boat, and they thought they were seeing a ghost, and, uh, and it was Jesus. And so I think that Jesus came for my dad during the hour of visitation to bring him home, and did so during, the hour, during uh, this beautiful feast day. And come to find out afterwards that um, three of my siblings had stories to share about my dad giving little signals and signs, little messages that he knew that he was close to death, that he was close to going home to God, that he was leaving this earth behind and leaving us behind in order to go to God. And they, they were various stories that in just the last several days before he died, that he definitely started to talk more about okay, everyone, there is no recovering here. I'm going home to God. I I won't be here at this time next week. Uh, I'm going to, this weekend is when I'm going to be healed, is what he said. This weekend is when I'm going to be fully healed, meaning he's going to go home to God where where the healing was. So I think that's a a beautiful mercy. I think it's, it's one of those confirming things that um, that some people will experience that as death approaches, the veil that separates heaven and earth thins. As death approaches, the veil that separates heaven and earth thins. And my dad experienced that. So, well, thanks for listening as, I, as I've shared this story back in a minute. Welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Curran. Uh, last comment I'll say is that uh, yesterday, you got to experience the Feast of the Little Flower, St. Therese, like one of the only women doctors of the church, yet she died when she was only 24. She died a tragic death on the one hand, so young, from tuberculosis, and it was a very painful, painful death that she also underwent, and that the pain that she suffered, uh, this as the as, as folks will relate it, as those who were near to her related it, um, was not only something that she experienced physically, but also a, a spiritual darkness that that broke before she died, and she came back to peace, a sense of peace, and, and, and again, that thinning of the veil between heaven and earth. But when you think about her life from a like a visible, measurable standpoint, it was a it was a short life, it was a hidden life, and it was an ordinary life. But the closer you come in, the closer you draw close the closer that you uh, interact with those who knew her, there was a beautiful way that the glory of God broke through her little gestures, her words, her acts of uh, kindness and generous sacrifice day to day. That willingness to do little things with great love, that willingness to be completely available to Jesus so that he could do with her as he would in order to bring about 
the redemptive work that Jesus intends for the world, and if that meant for her experiencing suffering spiritually and physically, she said yes in advance. She was available. And that spiritual availability is really at the heart of holiness. It's at the heart of being fruitfully used by God for his kingdom on earth. And my dad, you know, he wasn't a saint, but he was someone that did not complain about the trials and sufferings and the difficulties that he endured in his life. His song was, thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, God, for everything. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for everything. And I just, I think that that's a, that's a beautiful, that's a legacy. And I recorded it. I recorded the, the, that morning. <laughs> so that is, a, for me, a beautiful, um, that's my beautiful memory of my dad, is being permitted to witness his, uh, his own relationship with the Lord, despite the difficulties, the trials, and the sufferings. Thank you, God, for everything. All right, so uh, today I, I thank God for uh, my son, John Mark. Um, you know, so you heard me talk last week uh, when it was my daughter, Mary Grace, my oldest daughter's birthday, about naming and the power of names and how the names that we chose were very much connected to the dates on the calendar or other um, senses of discernment that we had around the power and importance of names, that names were, in a sense, not just simply decided by us, but discerned by us. And so uh, the the name John Mark, John Mark came fifth, four girls above her. So ah, finally, the heavens broke through and <laughs> God gave us the gift of a son. And it was, it was one of those things where, what would we name our son? Well, uh, Carrie and I, as we, we talked about it, we looked to men in our lives whom we admired for their faith and their holiness, right? for the, the life that they lived. And we do really believe that there is something about a name that is connected to how that personality is formed, their whole approach to life, their uh, just there, there's something about a name that actually shapes the person, as well as the person informing a name. And so there were several are several holy priests whose names were Mark, whose names are Mark, and so we had definitely a sense that. Naming our, our son Mark would have a, a, a connection to that sense of someone who's a lion, right? In, in the four creatures, right? So uh, you, you, you want that sense of, you know, Mark is the lion of the four creatures that are around the throne of God. And in the book of Revelation, it's been associated in our tradition with the four gospel writers, the four evangelists. And so Mark is a lion. And uh, I love that idea that my son will be a lion, uh, a lion for God, a lion for God. And John Mark is, oh, guess what? The gospel writer 
his we, we think of a Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but if you look in the Acts of the Apostles, the name of Mark, the gospel writer, is actually John Mark. But for us, John Mark is not only that, there's multiple layers or meanings, it's also the beloved disciple, the one to whom the Blessed Mother was entrusted. From the cross, Jesus entrusted the Blessed Mother into the hands of his beloved disciple, John. And so I shared with you last week that John was meaningful to us for that reason as well. And so the idea that our son would have that sense of welcoming the Blessed Mother into his life would be something that we would want for our son as well. So that was the name that we discerned. Now, October the 3rd. Okay, so what is the feast that is nearest to that that would be um, a prominent feast connected with a man? Well, that is October 4th, St. Francis of Assisi. And so, in fact, if John Mark's John Mark was born on the 4th, he would have been Francis, or maybe John Francis, <laughs> but he would not probably not have been John Mark. Maybe Francis Mark, Mark Francis? I don't know. Um, but I think we would have much more seriously taken that as a sign or a signal that there is a Francis here. There is someone whom is going to be intimately connected to St. Francis. Well, little did we know Little did we know, right? So why is October 4th chosen? Actually, this is connected to the death of Francis. And the death of Francis is either celebrated on October 4th, and that's his feast day. But if you are around Franciscan communities on the 3rd, there is this translation, there is this transition of Francis from heaven, from earth to heaven. And so this transition from earth to heaven for Francis, they celebrate on the evening of October the 3rd. So there is a, there is a bit of Francis that is overflowing backwards onto the 3rd. <laughs> well, let me tell you, this son of mine, this guy's got a connection to animals. I don't, you know, I've never seen it. I've never seen it in another kid, ever. Um, it, it's, it's uncanny. So when he was a, a young man, maybe, I don't know, four or five years old, say, let's say five or six years old, I, I remember it clear as day. We, we were actually in Boston visiting, and we were in the backyard, and he was standing there, and there, were, there was a dragonfly, because we had dragonflies growing up around our house that would not around in the backyard, and they would make these big long like loops around. And John Mark he put his finger out, and the dragonfly came and landed on his pointer finger. I I, I, I swear to you, the, the dragonfly just came and landed on his finger, and he just was like put the finger he put the dragonfly up close to his face. He just looked at it and just was there. It wasn't flying away. He was just kind of like looking at it and moving his finger around. And then he, you know, shoot it off. Off it went. And I'm like, who are you? (laughs) Who are you that you have this sense of, I don't know, 
uh, receptivity and and an openness that uh, animals are are not like afraid of you or consider you an enemy. And I've seen him do the same thing with butterflies. Like a butterfly just sitting on a plant, he'll walk over and just kind of scoop the butterfly and turn and like not grab it, like what kind of scoop it or what kind of open handed and then turn around and, and there's the butterfly just sitting in his hand. I've seen him do it with a bee. Okay, so there's something about animals and this young man. Well, when it came time for him to choose a confirmation name, take a guess. Yes, indeed. St. Francis. So I, I share this with you to say that names are really important and that the Lord, when he gives us the gift of a child, he, he, he's not caught off guard on the date that that child's born. He's like, whoa, hey, look at the, the baby came early. <laughs> and so I want you to trust that the Lord is up to something when he gives that child to you, and that something can even be impacting how it is that child approaches life and lives life, and that can be connected to the saint's day, the feast day, the day that that child is born, and, and even meaningfully connected to when that being like when that person also dies think of again my dad and for that matter my father-in-law you know he ended up dying going home to heaven on march the 19th the feast of saint joseph um again the foster father of jesus in such a fitting day that he was brought home to god so all right up against a break when we come back more sound insight Hey, welcome back to Sound Insight. This is Tom Carn. It's great to be with you. All right, so um, so here we go. Um, now I'm going to link together John, Mark, and my dad. So um, I'm a son to my, my dad, my father, and I'm a father to my son. And there's something generational that goes on. There's a handing on that goes on. And I think about the gifts and the attributes that my dad handed on to me. I try to foster those and hand those on to my, my son. There are things that were limitations and brokennesses that were part of my dad's life that I can also see in me. I try to uproot them, become purified of those things, in order to hand on something better to my, to my son. But this doesn't just happen in, in a void. It happens in the actual world in which we're living. And so I, I'm going to give just sort of a, a bit of a final exhortation to, to men that Men really need to be able to get together with other men to talk through stuff that matters and to explore together, like, how are we living? What are we living for? How are we approaching the, the, time, the time that we're given? Uh, I passed a billboard that just showed up, I don't know, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And it's like one of these religious billboards. And it was, it says, are you preparing to meet Jesus? That was the billboard. Are you preparing to meet Jesus? And there is a heartbeat line that is on the left side of the billboard. And then it flatlines. And then the words above the flat line, are you preparing to meet Jesus? 
And I thought of my dad, of course, he preparing to meet Jesus um, because, you know, his heart failed. And that's literally what happened. His heart stopped beating. And so it, it's like, okay, are we, this, this program is meant to be a billboard. This program is meant to be able, are you preparing to meet Jesus? And, and let me say it this way. Not just, are you preparing to meet Jesus at the end of your life? Are you preparing to meet Jesus in your today? Are you preparing to meet Jesus in the next conversation you're having? Are you preparing to meet Jesus in the course of how you interact with your spouse, with your kids, with your grandkids, with your great-grandkids, with your parents, with your siblings, with your co-workers, with, with the people that are around you? Are you preparing to meet Jesus? And then if you really want to up the game, are you preparing in such a way that Jesus can meet others through you? Are you preparing so that Jesus can meet others through you? Is Jesus able to meet others through you at work, at home, in your relationships? How about in your thoughts? How about in your heart? How about in your words? And here's the thing. As big a deal as it is for us to be doing this, and we need to do this. We do. We need to be reflecting on this. By the way, if you're, if you're like wondering, when do I get to do this? Hey, there's a men's retreat coming up. It begins on Friday, the 20th of October and goes until the 22nd. Friday starts mid-afternoon check-in, 3 in the afternoon. It's in northern Idaho. It's just outside of Coeur d'Alene. Friday, 3 in the afternoon check-in. I'm giving the talk in the, the late afternoon. Father Lewis will be there as well to, to preside and, and preach at the masses and hear confessions. And Dale Alquist from the, the Chesterton Society um, is going to be the main presenter over the course of the weekend. And uh, it's at the Inland Northwest Men's Retreat. Just Google that. Inland Northwest Men's Retreat. Get together with other men. Spend a weekend together. It's the 20th. That's Friday. All day the 21st. Uh, Friday late afternoon into the evening. 21st and then 22nd done by noon beautiful, important opportunity to get together with other men and talk about how do we support, encourage, and hold each other accountable to be meeting Jesus day to day and be those through whom Jesus can meet others day to day. Come on, let's, let's not settle for less than that. All right, but let me now talk about from father to son, from father to son. So my dad was raised in a time that was very difficult, right? All the sufferings, all the difficulties, the, the Great Depression and, and the, the tragedies and the difficulties he had in his family life. He provided immensely for us. We grew up in a beautiful town, uh, not, not like very wealthy, but we grew up, we grew up in, in comfort. And um, we grew up in a town that was like almost entirely Catholic. And so it was, a, it was a season of faith. It was a season where the neighborhoods were safe and there were kids everywhere and the churches were, were full. This was in the early to mid-70s. I mean, it was, it was a full church. Um, and, and now we take a look at, okay, now here I am raising my kids and I look at the challenges. Pa- parents, do you realize the challenges that your kids face in the schools where they are? In the schools where they are, you are either permitting or promoting the formation that's happening there. Because your kids are being formed by where they sc- by how they're being educated. If you're homeschooling, if you're doing a co-op, if you're doing a charter school, if you're doing a private school, if you're doing a public school, if you're doing a Christian school, a Catholic school, a classical school, if you're doing a diocesan Catholic school versus a private one, a huge huge sway, huge variance in outcomes 
But no matter the, the, the big divergence, the big difference in distance between those outcomes, it's on you. Did you hear the, <laughs> did you hear the first reading on Sunday? This is on us. If we don't call uh, a wicked man from his sinful ways, it's on us. But if we call that, if the virtuous man gives, the virt- gives up the virtuous ways and turns to vice, it's on him. Unless he gets called back and then he changes. And so we get a part to play. Okay, I say all this because um, taking the necessary action to rescue your kids and free your kids from toxic environments that are poisoning and destroying the faith, the peace, the emotional stability, the purity of your kids, that's on you. You got to do whatever you got to do to rescue your kids. And so I think about John Mark. So here he is. He's a freshman at Franciscan University, along my other kiddos. I got four there now. And you've heard me tell the story, except to say that, uh, you know, we're talking with our kids. Hey, what's it, what's it like there? And one of the pieces of feedback that um, their older sister is saying that, oh, a bunch of my friends that are juniors and, and sophomores and seniors, they're interacting with these young men, John Mark and John Luke, who, you know, John Mark just turned 18, John Luke is 16. So they're there early. And they're like, what great kids. What nice kids. Wow. And for John Mark, what a, boy, the way he prays is so beautiful. And he's looking to join a, a, a household, uh, the, dis, the Disciples of Purity. Hey, man, if you're going to have your son join a, a men's household, join the Disciples of Purity. That's really cool. They walk the campus and pray prayers of protection for the purity of the students that are there. I called him. I called him and said, "Hey, can we can we touch base um, about the visit that we're going to be making to Boston for my dad's funeral?" And he says, "Yeah, I'm about to go pray a rosary. I'll call you afterwards." Let's just say if your son ever texts you and says, "Hey, Dad, I'll call you after I pray my rosary," just say yes. <laughs> say, "Of course, pray one for me," right? And so it's it's the month of October. It's the month dedicated to the rosary. This is a month where you can reintroduce to your family the gift of the rosary. And if it's too much for your family to pray a rosary, pray one yourself. Pray one for them. Maybe pray a rosary, pray your own rosary, but then maybe take one for the team and pray a rosary for your kids on their behalf, in their place, for their sake. Right? You can do this. And that's a little sacrifice of 16 minutes. You can get it on Spotify, a 16-minute rosary. Not that complicated. It'll guide you right through it. And, and yet, it can be a huge blessing, a wonderful blessing of sowing seeds of faith in your kids' hearts and minds. And so I, I leave you with that bit of a challenging thought that my dad underwent a lot of difficulties and trials and challenges in his life, and the Lord mercifully shepherded him through all of those various <clears throat> landmines to get him to a place of faith where he said, thank you, God, for everything. But that's not a guarantee. That is not a guarantee, brothers and sisters. And so for our kids, we want to do what we can to preserve and protect and, and guide them along a path of holiness purity, modesty, chastity, and self-control in environments where they can be interacting with other kids that have come from other families of faith. They don't have to be on the front lines when they're so young. They don't have to be. 
And that's a beautiful gift. So I hope that that's a, a gift to you. Well, thanks for letting me share about, a bit about my son and my father. And again, I'll say a prayer for them both. I would really appreciate that. All right. God bless your day. Join me tomorrow for more Sound Insight.